The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Hey, if you are joining us online or here in drive-in service, I want to thank you so much for being here today. i got a couple reminders for you that I want to uh, give to you, uh, and then we're going to continue the series here on the soul. First of all, uh, we have Baptism Sunday happening next Sunday, uh, August 30th. It's happening at Lundeen Park in Lake Stevens, and so what we're doing is uh, we're not inviting the entire church to attend uh, this event, but those that are getting baptized or those that want to get baptized and their families um, should sign up at info at grove.church. Great opportunity. Uh, to, to see people get baptized for those in your family or you personally. In addition to that, a couple of the things that are happening uh, this week in our church is this coming Tuesday, we're doing a grocery giveaway again. Uh, we partnered with Convo- Convoy of Hope. It's from 5 to 7 p.m. Uh, right here at the Marysville campus, and we're giving away food uh, to people in need. And so if that's you or you know someone um, in need, 5 to 7 p.m., uh, we're giving away food and want to just bless uh, our community and the community's around us. And then lastly, uh, we have a kids event. It's a drive-in experience happening this Saturday, uh, the 29th. It's from 10 to 1130. It's a color fest. It's going to be a cool opportunity uh, for the kids to have kind of one final event before they head uh, back to school and all that good stuff. And so that's happening uh, this Saturday right here at the Marysville campus. I know Diane and the Grove Kids team has done a great job um, putting together uh, a great event uh, that's going to happen this coming weekend. And so encourage you to be a part of that if you have little ones. Well, hey, we're going to continue our series today on the soul. Today we're talking about uh, the soul and its source. And if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew 7. 24 is where we're going to be uh, in, in the scriptures as well as I'm going to uh, reference to James 1 as well. But you know, Amanda and I, uh, we purchased our home almost 10 years ago now, uh, and I'll never forget the advice that my father-in-law gave me at the time uh, that we were about to purchase our home. In fact, we were living with them uh, a year into our marriage, and so we were living with them saving money, and this is the advice that he gave me. He said, you know, Andrew, not only are you incredibly good looking, uh, but there is a cost to home ownership. And uh, I was like, what, what are you talking about? His name was Ken Ledger. He said, there's a cost to home ownership. And I said, so you mean like your, your, your daughter's going to cost me money? Um, because boy, has she cost me money. No, I'm kidding. But he was saying, no, there, there's a cost to home ownership. And uh, he kind of described to me that, you know, when, when you're renting, and I grew up, you know, in a house that rented most of my life, but when you're renting, other people take care of, of the problems. But when you own something, there's a cost to owning that home. And the, the reality of it is, is that when you break it or it breaks, um, you pay for it and you fix it. And he was so right. Uh, when we first moved in, the, the dishwasher uh, began to leak and we had to replace that. Then the dryer decided to just say, I'm, hey, I'm tired of drying your clothes. And so we had to get a new washer and dryer and then the fridge and, and, and then the uh, paint and then the landscaping and the yard and, uh, and then the decor and the decor and more decor and the signs and more signs. And more signs, right? I mean, there's a cost uh, to owning a home. And if you own your home, uh, you know this principle. And if you're about to own a home or you're looking to buy, you should know that you're incredibly good looking and that there's a cost to home ownership. But there is a, there is a cost to owning 
a home. And the thing I want to talk with you about today is that if you want to have a healthy soul, if you want to build your life around Christ and have a healthy soul, it is going to cost you something. It is going to cost you something to have a healthy soul. In fact, you don't just fumble along on having a healthy soul. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes prayer. It takes some serious gut checks. It takes accountability. It takes humility. And it takes the willingness to do the right thing over and over and over again if you want to have a healthy soul. In fact, when Jesus started his ministry, he started in the famous sermon that we know today as the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in this uh, sermon, or sermonette you want to call it, he's laying the groundwork for the new kingdom and the new standard for what it means to live for Christ and his kingdom. And a couple of just notes from that passage of scripture in the beginning, and you might have heard this before, but this was Jesus kind of laying down a new standard for what it meant to follow him and live for him and be a disciple of him. In Matthew 5, 21, it says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, there's the new standard right there, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, Jesus laying down a new foundation and a new understanding of what it meant to live for Christ. Matthew 5, 27, another famous one, he says, you have heard that it was said, speaking of the old law, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, this reminder of this new standard and this new way of living. He finishes this sermon uh, of sermon, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. This is where I want uh, you to pay attention to here. This is Matthew 7, uh, 24. It says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And listen to this, and it fell and great was the fall of it. See, in chapter 7 of Soul Keeping, which is where this series has kind of originated from, and I'm going to use some references from that book. In, in chapter 7, John Ortberg describes what can happen when we lose the center of our soul. He writes, and I'm quoting here, In the late winter of 2013, a man whose family had lived in the same house for generations suddenly lost his life when a sinkhole opened up beneath the home's foundation causing the floor to collapse and simply swallow up the house. Experts say that in parts of Florida, the limestone that lies beneath the earth's surface is slowly being dissolved by acidic rainwater. When enough rock is eaten away, the void simply collapses under the weight of what an inadequate foundation can no longer support. He goes on to give examples of what it means when a soul doesn't have a center and the difficulty of what can happen when our lives, and very similar to what Jesus is saying, when our lives are built on sand, here is the result of what can happen to a soul without a center. 
Number one here, if you're taking notes, a soul without a center has difficulty making a decision. A soul without a center has difficulty making a decision. James, James Jesus' brother, described in James 1 that there's a person who's double-minded, that he's like a wave on the sea being driven forward one moment and then backward another. People who have strong souls are confident in who they are and the decisions needed to move forward. In fact, those who have healthy souls know very well what is their true north and what decision that they should do. Why? Because their souls are in a healthy place. They're confident in who God has made them to be. They're not worried about the circumstances or the people that are around them, but they're decision makers and they're confident in which way to move forward and what to do. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a, a, a missions trip or a sports team or whatever, but we all know there's moments and times where the coach or the leader or the principal or the teacher are like, no, this is what we're going to do. Or no, this is a situation that we're faced with, but here's how we're going to move forward. That is a person, that is a guy or a gal who has a soul that is centered on Christ and does not have a difficulty making decisions. Those who have lost that grip of themselves find themselves being tossed to and from and have a very hard time sometimes making the most simplest decisions, let alone the difficult ones. Orper goes on to, to give us a few more examples. He says, a soul without a center feels constantly vulnerable to people or circumstances. See, when our foundation is not built on Jesus Christ, you and I will be swayed by what people think of us or by what is happening in our world around us. And we see this played out all the different times of our lives where you and I struggle with listening to the voices of what people are saying about us, what we're hearing, what we're thinking, you know, do they like me? Did I say something wrong? Overanalyzing a conversation, worried about a circumstance. And what ends up happening is we feel vulnerable to those around us and we're constantly feeling pressured to get it right with every person and every situation. Yet people who have a soul centered on Christ know that their foundation is built on Jesus Christ and that sometimes circumstances are gonna change, different situations with people are going to happen, but not being vulnerable to them and not allowing them to wreak havoc on our lives and take away who we are. Here's another one he talks about in uh, the book number three here, that a soul, again, talking about a soul and its source, a soul without a center lacks patience. See, this is probably the hardest one for me, maybe the hardest one for you. It's that ongoing joke that you ask God for patience, and he doesn't give you more patience. He just puts you in opportunities for you to be patient, right? And so for you and I, when, we, when our soul is lacking something, when it lacks that center, that core, what ends up happening is we tend to be in a hurry. We tend to be in a fast-paced movement, and we're always worried and concerned and hurried and this and that, ah, ah, ah. It's interesting, Dallas Willard, the mentor of, of John Ortberg, he writes in the book, quoting Dallas, he says, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. See, what ends up happening sometimes in our lives is we have so many things going on, so many things trying to get our attention, so many notifications on our phone going off, so many kids to try to manage, so many circumstances at our job. So what ends up happening is rather than taking our time and being solid and knowing what our true north is and knowing where God wants to lead and guide us and help make the decisions, what ends up happening is we get short with people. We get rude with our kids. 
We, we tend to drive a little faster than we should. We tend to get a little impatient behind the wheel. We tend to, to find ourselves quick reacting or reacting in ways that we know don't honor God. And you always know when you don't act the right way and you lack patience, you always know this, at least I do, is after the circumstance or the situation or after whatever happens, you know you lack patience when in the back of your mind, you know, you think to yourself, man, I could have done differently there. I could have responded better. You know what? I probably need to go back to that person and make that situation right. One of the greatest things that you and I can do to have a healthy soul is to eliminate hurry from your life. To look at your life and go, okay, God, I have seven days in a week. I have this many hours in a day. Lord, what is it that you want me to do with my life and my time and my agenda and my calendar so that I bring glory to your name? But those who don't have a center, those who don't have this foundation that Jesus is talking about are going to be people that are very hard to wait on things. They're going to be people that lack patience. Number four here, Ortberg writes that a soul without a center is easily thrown. The soul without a center is easily thrown. In, in seventh grade, I played uh, tackle football. I only played one year of tackle football for Cedar Crest Middle School. My, my coach, I think he's retired now, but maybe he's still teaching, was Mr. Vanderveer. And he was a scary, scary dude, okay? This guy was a monster. He was huge and short and super, super aggressive. And they didn't reference you by your first name. They only referenced you by your last name. And so on your helmet, you had a piece of of uh, masking tape and just had your last name on and I can still hear him in my ear today Munoz get up Munoz get up I mean he was just he was ruthless now come to find out he's a really big teddy bear but when you're in seventh grade and you're dealing with puberty and dealing with like you know you know sweat in your armpits you don't know exactly how to handle someone just yelling your name over and over especially your last name because the only time people use your last name is your parents when they use your full name because you're in trouble Andrew Munoz get over here you know so Mr. Vanderveer man he was ruthless. And if he's listening to this, you were ruthless. Okay. You were ruthless, but I still love you. Okay. But this guy, he was a monster. Okay. And he would come up to us and just yell in our ears and get, you know, get upset with us, but he was trying to push us to be better and to be better players. But one of the things he would, he would do for us linemen. So I was, I was a pretty chunky little guy growing up. And so I was, a, I was a right guard, and this is like in the heat of the, you know, September, kind of hot still when we're practicing. So he would do this kind of stuff to us. He would, he would make us get in the position um, of, a blo of a blocker. And if you, if you know football, you know that position. I can't really do it here because I'm afraid I'm going to lose the camera. But he would get us in a position of, of a lineman. And he'd have us, you know, get in, in that position. And then he would come around and he'd walk kind of in front of us. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't tell, you know, who he was going to do it. But he'd walk in front of us kind of back and forth pacing. And every now and then he would just push one of us, right? I mean, not like, like go after it, but just push us. And sometimes we'd fall over. And then he'd get up and yell at us, you got to get stable. You got to get strong. You got to plant those fingers. Get your butt down. You know, like he was this kind of person. And so what ended up happening is he'd walk back and forth and then he'd push us. And, you know, some of us would fall. And a lot of times, man, I'd fall right over, right? Because I was a pretty big kid. I was still trying to understand the position. And so then he'd, you know, grab me by the, you know, by the, the whatever, the jacket over my jersey and pull me up and go, no. And then try to show me and then maybe go run a mile and then try again. But every now and then, after a few weeks of, of learning the position and learning what it meant, eventually, man, you'd get in the right position, and you'd get so solid, and you get your head up, and you get, you're looking right at him, and you'd just be waiting for him, and he'd try to come and push you, and you wouldn't move. 
You tried to come and push you and you wouldn't move. He tried to come, come and take you down and, and he couldn't, he could not take us down. He could not push us over. Orpork is saying that a soul without a center is easily thrown. I want to encourage you to think about that position of a blocker here as we're, as we're talking about the soul and a center. Those who do not have a center, those whose life is not built on the rock of Jesus Christ, those who struggle in whatever sin or entanglement that they're in, I'm telling you right now, when circumstances and situations happen to them, they're going to fall. In fact, that's what Jesus said. He said, if you build your life on sand, if you build your life on circumstances, on pleasing people, on your bank account, on whatever situation that makes you happy, on your career, on the size of your home, on, on people's opinion, whatever, whatever you want to say and put in that category. But if you build your life on anything but the, but the kingdom of Christ and his pattern for your life, ultimately what will happen is there's going to be a situation in your life. He said it. When the rains come, when the winds blow, there's going to be a situation in your life where it is going to blow you down. You're going to be like that seventh grader. You're going to be a lineman. You're going to be feeling like you're all padded and you're good to go. But ultimately what's going to happen is you're going to fall. And here's the thing. Great will that fall be. Jesus even quotes that. He says, great will that fall be. And you and I can, can listen today. We can sit here today, wherever we are, and think to ourselves, I know people like that. In fact, maybe I was somebody like that. I know people who circumstances and situations got the best of them and they fell. They fell away from Christ. They fell away from the church. They fell away from this. And now they're doing these things. Why? Because they lacked the center. They lacked knowing who they were and they lacked that core true north of living for Christ and having their foundation built on Jesus Christ. But now the opposite. For those who choose daily to surrender to Christ, for those who choose daily to walk with the Lord, to those who choose daily to take up their cross and follow Christ, that whole awesome idea, for those, it is like that blocker in seventh grade. But yet you're ready. And your hands and your feet are planted firm on the rock of Jesus Christ. And you will not be easily thrown. You will not be easily thrown. See, what Jesus is saying is that when you build your house on sand, you'll get tossed around very easily. But if you build your life on Christ, on his foundation, you will be like a rock. See, I can't stress this point enough here, that you cannot speed up soul care and soul work. You have to take the time to build your life on Jesus Christ and with people who make you better. Now listen, people who do not challenge you and hold you accountable, people who do not really sharpen you, they're just your sand buddies. They're just your sand buddies. They're building sand with you, but they're not firm founding people that will help make you stronger and better. In fact, the people in your life that are willing to call you on the carpet, the people in your life that are willing to look you in the eye and tell you, hey, what you're doing is wrong. You need to work on this. I love you enough. Like, like my like pastor used to always say to me, I love you enough to tell you the truth. Those are the people in your life that are building rocks with you and helping build a firm foundation on your life. But if you have people in your life today who just love being around you, don't really care how you live, don't really care about your choices, they just want to just, you know, do life with you and just be your buddy, ultimately they're just sand buddies. They're not making you better, and they will ultimately contribute to your fall. See, the Apostle Paul said it best in 1 Timothy 4. 
7 through 9. He said, have nothing to do with the reverent silly myths. Listen, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for this present life and also for the life to come. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, hey, great if you want to go running. Great you want to get a gym membership and work out and I hear the gyms are starting to open back up, so great you're going back to your gym. Or great that you take this kind of class or that kind of class. Those are all wonderful things to keep your heart healthy and your body healthy. But Paul is saying, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for holiness. Train yourself, meaning this isn't going to happen overnight. If you're going to have a soul centered on the rock of Christ, there's no such thing as overnight transformation. There's no such thing as quick, real, quick happenstance and all of a sudden you just become a deeper and stronger follow, a follower of Christ. It's going to take effort. It's going to take time. It's going to take some serious gut checks. The last one here that uh, Ortberg talks about is number five here. He says, the soul without a center finds its identity in externals. When I'm not centered on Christ, I'm defined by accomplishments. I'm defined by things. I'm even, I'm even defined by physical appearance. What John's saying here and what Jesus is reminding you and I today of is, if you and I are built on Jesus Christ, nothing will move us. If you and I have a center that is built on Christ, we will withstand anything. But if you and I are not centered on the rock of Jesus Christ, what's gonna ultimately happen is we're gonna find our identity in the things that make us happy. As long as I have this thing, as long as I have that going for me, as long as I know this is going to happen, as long as my external world is going well, then I'll be okay. What he's saying is you're lacking a center you're lacking that true north. You're lacking that foundation of being on Christ. That foundation of being at the core of who Christ calls you to be. His follower, his disciple. One of the things in the book that it talks about is that, that the soul is a stream and that you are the keeper of the soul. And he references this, this uh, image multiple different times that the soul, that your soul is the stream and that you are the keeper of it. And I want you to think about that for a minute. That if, that if the soul, if the soul is, is a stream of your life and you're the keeper of it, I want you to think about that uh, a stream and, and how clean and how it flows and what's in the way of it. See, if it's a, if it's a healthy soul and it has a soul that's centered on Christ and it has a firm foundation in him, then that, sh that stream is going to flow really well. That, that stream is going to be clean water. That, that, that stream is not going to have a bunch, of, a bunch of thorns and sticks and, and things that are, you know, clogging it up. It's going to be a clean stream that flows perfectly and is united with Christ. If it's a, if it's a soul that's centered on Christ and, and his firm foundation, it's going to be a, a stream that actually gives life to other people. It's going to be a, a stream that actually reaches into the, the neighborhoods and, and the workplaces and our families and our friends and those that are a part of our lives because it's a stream that flows and actually helps other people. 
If, if it's a healthy stream and a, a healthy soul, then what ends up happening is it doesn't just benefit you and benefit your personal life, but then that healthy stream begins to benefit your, your marriage and it begins to, to re- go down into your, your children. It begins to go down into every aspect of your life. Why? Because your soul is built on the center of Christ. And when you're centered on Christ, it, it automatically, by nature, begins to affect and reach every aspect and every area of your life. But what's so sad is the opposite is true. That if that, so, if that stream is clogged up, if that stream has a bunch of thorns and branches and it's preventing it from flowing properly, I can tell you right now that that marriage is going to struggle. I can tell you right now that your children are going to suffer. I can tell you right now that you'll be, you'll be known more about being the cranky neighbor or the annoying boss or the annoying coworker or whatever it is. You'll be known by those character traits as well because the bad things will also come out of a bad stream. The good things will come out of a good stream, but the bad things will come out of a a bad stream. You and I are called to live for Christ and have a soul that is centered on Christ. You know, a lot of times when I'm studying messages and I'm preparing for sermons, I I listen to different worship songs. Sometimes I'll listen just to instrumental to not be distracted, but I came across... um, a song this week that I just think has just been so helpful for me. And it's, just, it's an old hymn. It's called um, In Christ Alone. And I, I typed out just two of the verses. I don't have all, all the verses here, but I, I want to just read to you some of the, the words of, of this old hymn because I think it just reminds us once again of just how powerful the work of Christ is in our lives, how powerful it is to have a soul centered on Christ. And I just would hope that you could hear just these words once again in a new way maybe, but this is what it says. It says, in Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are steeled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand. In Christ alone. This is my favorite uh, section of the song here. The, The last verse, it says, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, come on somebody, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. I'm here to encourage you today. There's no pandemic. There's no job loss. There's no fear. There's no anxiety. There's no worry. There's no stress. There's no difficult school decision. Nothing. No size of your bank account. No situation that you're facing right now. There is nothing that stands against who Christ is and the firm foundation that he's built you and, you and I on. One more time here. No guilt in life. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. There's no power of hell. 
There is no scheme of man that can ever pluck me from his hand. Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ, I stand. Let's pray together today. Lord Jesus, today, we want our life, we want our soul, God, we want all of who we are to be centered on you, Jesus. God, it's not enough just to know about you. It's not enough just to hear of you, God. You want us to know you personally. You want us to know your heart. You want us to know, God, the things that you have for us, Lord. And I pray today, God, for the conditions of our soul. God, God, maybe some of us here, we've, we've been easily moved. Maybe some of us listen to a message like this and we're easily thrown. Maybe we're anxious for the school year. Maybe we're worried about our circumstances. Maybe we're worried about this virus and what's going to happen and when are we going to get back to normal and all these things. But I thank you, God, that there is no power of hell, there's no scheme of man that can take us from your foundation, God, and hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And I pray today for encouragement in every person's heart. I pray today, God, that those who are feeling discouraged, that they leave today feeling encouraged. I pray those who are watching online would feel your presence and your grace and your love right where they are today. And I thank you, Jesus, God, that you are with us. I thank you, Jesus, that if you are for us, nothing can come against us. And I thank you, God, that your kingdom God, your kingdom is right here and right now, God. Your kingdom is advancing. God, your church is moving. And we praise you and we thank you, God, for the work that you're doing, God, here in our church. We trust you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, I want to uh, just remind you of a couple things today as we're wrapping up uh, the the 8.30 service here. First of all, if you need prayer for any reason today, there's a few different ways to do that. If you're watching online, you can fill out a Connect card online. In addition to that, if you're here at the drive-up service, you can fill out that Connect card and you can drop it in the bucket as you leave today. That's also how you can give. If you want to give in person, you can do that in the buckets or you can do that online. But if you personally need prayer and you're at the drive-up service today, you can just turn on your hazards and the parking attendants will direct you to receive prayer right in your car. So that's one thing I want you to know. The second thing I want you to know is that as you leave today, just follow all the awesome people uh, in these incredible vests. They do a great job to make this experience for drive up happen. And so as you leave today, just follow those things. And with that, I think that's all I got for you. Have a great day and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.